you have your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of John. We've been in a study through the book of John, and we are seeing week after week Jesus up close and personal. And one of the things we're seeing every week is that Jesus is a force to be reckoned with. That Jesus refuses to be managed and refuses to be tamed. And we actually see that again this week in John chapter 4. And so if you have your Bible, uh, or if you don't have your Bible, you can see the text printed for you in your bulletin. It will also be on the screen behind me. This is John chapter 4. Starting in verse 1, this is God's word. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew... Ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. For Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now skip with me to verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, why do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar. And she went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out to the town 
and we're coming to him. This is God's holy and inspired word. Let me pray and ask the Spirit to help us this morning. Father in heaven, you tell us that we can't understand even these words without your help. and We are a helpless people. And so come through your Spirit and make this word come alive to us. Apply it to our hearts so that we might leave here different people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things I said at the beginning of this study is that you can't say everything. And if you try to say everything about anything, you'll end up saying nothing. This is one of those passages. We could, we could spend weeks uh, in John chapter 4, and we're not going to do that. Uh, we're going to spend one week. And so please bear with me uh, as we try to pull out the important things in this passage. Last week, if you were here, we looked at Jesus and Nicodemus, and one of the things we looked at in their interaction was that Jesus was interacting with Nicodemus, who was a social, moral, and religious insider in his community. This week in John chapter 4, we see the complete opposite. We see Jesus interacting with a religious, moral, and social outsider. And most all scholars will tell you that these stories are meant to be taken together, and that makes sense because in the original Bible, there was no verse divisions or chapter divisions, and so... These were meant to be read right together with no division among them. That's the way they're meant to be taken. Why are they meant to be taken that way? Well, because John wants us to see, though these folks are polar opposites, Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman, one's an insider, one's an outsider, one's an outcast, one uh, was the man in his community, so to speak. But they both, as different as they are, they need the exact same thing. They both need Jesus. John chapter 4, he introduces us to this woman. And what's interesting is she's been known as the woman at the well or the Samaritan woman. John doesn't even give us her name. But what's interesting is that None of us would have known her because she's not one of us. She's in all the wrong social circles. She's at the bottom of the barrel in her community. She's been used. She's been abused. And yet we have so much to learn from her this morning about Jesus. So much to learn about the gospel and what Christianity is all about. And so let's meet this woman in John chapter 4. And let's see what we have to learn from her. Three things. Let's look at who she is, what she needs, and thirdly, let's look at how she responds. Who she is, what she needs, and how she responds. Let's look at number one. There's a lot here in this first part. Who is this woman? Look at verse three. Very important background that really opens up the passage for us. You'll see that Jesus leaves Judea, which is in the south, and he travels to the region of Galilee, which was in the north. Look at verse 4. And he had to, it's interesting, a literal translation of this would be he absolutely had to pass through Samaria. 
And that's really important and easy to overlook, but we need to learn something here about the Jews and the Samaritans. Uh, and without getting into a long, drawn-out history lesson, let me just say a few things about this. A, uh, a Jew would have never used Samaria as a stopping point or as a rest stop on the way to Galilee. In fact, if you were a Jew, you would have wanted to avoid Samaria at all costs because you would not have felt safe because the Samaritans were considered unclean people and they had these offensive beliefs and they hated each other and there was this strife between the Jews and the Samaritans that had been going on for hundreds of years. And so it is a huge deal that a Samaritan or that a Jew would travel through Samaritan. Samaria. And that's exactly what Jesus does. There was actually a path that people would take around, even if it made their trip longer. Jesus doesn't do that. He goes straight to the heart of Samaria, right to the middle of it, and he doesn't just travel through it. He actually stops and visits. Look at verses 6 and 7. We see something of the humanity of Jesus. He's weary, he's thirsty. And so he stops for water, and he has nothing to draw water with. And so up walks this woman, and he starts to engage her in a conversation. And to understand just how remarkable this interaction is with this woman, we need to understand something about the woman. And the first thing we know is that she's a Samaritan, and remember, they didn't like each other. And you can get the sense here that she's even a little surprised that he even talks to her to begin with. That's the feel of the passage. Not only that, look at verse 27. It's also surprising because for a Jewish man to engage a woman in public was considered scandalous, particularly this woman. That's why they, at verse 27, they marveled at the fact Jesus was talking with her. And so let's stop here just for a second because I think there is some application for us here. Jesus, right from the beginning of the Gospels, is knocking down all sorts of barriers, all sorts of walls, social, gender, racial walls. Friends, one of the things we see here about Jesus is that right at the very heart of what he came to do was mission. He was on a quest that all of the nations, every nation, tribe, and tongue, and race would come and worship him. That's why it says in John 3.16, for God so loved not just Jerusalem, not just Judea, the world so that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish, but would have eternal life. Friends, Jesus is a man on mission. A desire for everyone to worship him. And he goes straight into the heart of Samaria. Because he is on mission. And we're going to spend a whole weekend on this, on our missions conference. But I want you to notice that a tearing down of racial walls was right at the heart of what Jesus came to do in the world. Think about the gospel. At the very heart of the gospel is a tearing down of walls, isn't it? The wall that existed between us and God, 
Jesus tore that down so that you and I could go and tear down the walls that exist between us and other people. And I would say particularly and specifically walls of race. Are the walls coming down in your life this morning? Friends, one of the surest signs that you're starting to get the gospel and it's starting to go deep into your soul is that there is a tearing down of walls that begins to take place in your life. We also learn something else about this woman. Look at verse 6. This little phrase that almost seems like a throwaway phrase. It was the sixth hour, which means it was high noon. Why in the world would this woman go to draw water in the middle of the day, at the hottest part of the day? Well, because she was an outsider, an outcast, the bottom of the barrel, even within her own community, even within her Samaritan community. And most folks and commentators point out that this little detail tells you so much about this woman because women would go and draw water for their families and for their animals, not at the hottest part of the day. They would go early in the morning. Or they would go late into the evening so that they could avoid the scorching sun bearing down on them. But this woman goes in the hottest part of the day because she knows that she will be alone. She knows that she will not have to undergo the scorn of the other women and people in her community. And we know what, why that is as the conversation progresses, don't we? As she interacts with Jesus, what do we learn about her? Well, she's the town tramp. She's an immoral woman. And she has been so wounded by other people and filled with such shame that all she wants to do is hide and be alone. And so she goes to the well in the middle of the day. Do you see what she's doing by going to the well in the middle of the day? She's hiding. Because this well had become her hiding place. A place for her to hide from her shame. And guess who is there? In the place of hiding and in the place of her deepest shame, Jesus is there. And Jesus meets her in her shame in the place in which she hides. Because you see, shame, friends, makes us fearful hiders. And shame keeps us from letting other people in. Let's talk about shame for a second. What is shame? Remember the difference between shame and guilt. Guilt is, I did something bad. Shame is, I am bad. Guilt is, I failed. Shame is, I'm a failure. Shame is that feeling of, I don't belong here. I don't fit in here. I'm different. I don't measure up. Other people are acceptable, I am not. Shame says, they succeed, but I don't. They have friends, I don't. You've felt this, haven't you? Friends, the longer I live, the more I realize how much shame that I have in my life. 
And if I can be really honest, probably the area where my shame comes pouring out as never before is in the issue of parenting. Anybody experience shame in their parenting? Please say I'm not the only one. And the list goes on. And my question for you this morning is if we all feel shame in different places and in different ways like this woman, we also have places where we go and hide from our pain and our shame so that no one can see us. Where are you hiding? You see, oftentimes we, sh- we hide our shame by numbing ourselves with a substance. Or maybe we numb ourselves by binging on Netflix all weekend. Or getting immersed in technology or pornography. Or we hide and cover up our shame by trying to perfect ourselves to death. And we go to the gym hours a day. And we spend hours counting calories. And thinking about what we eat so that we can convince ourselves that we're really okay. Or we hide and cover up our shame with our personality and we think if I can just be on and if I can just work the room and be full of joy and be upbeat, then no one will have to stop and look at me and ask me hard questions. Or we get busy, don't we? And we fill up every hour of every day at our schools that our children are in. Or even in the church and we think if I can just be busy enough, no one will actually stop and get to know me and ask me the hard questions and see that I'm really coming apart on the inside. We hide, and we cover up our brokenness and our shame. And where are you hiding this morning? And friends, what's interesting is shame comes and says, if you knew the real me, then you would have nothing to do with me. Look at John chapter 4. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus meets us in our shame. Look at verse 4 again. He had to pass through Samaria. And the word actually means divine necessity. That word had to. In other words, what John is saying here in this meeting with this woman at the well in the midst of her shame was on Jesus' schedule from the very beginning. We think Jesus is like put off by our brokenness. Friends, Jesus doesn't run away from meeting us in our shame. It's on his calendar. Because that's who he is. Secondly, and that was by far the longest point. What does she need? Look at verses 13 through 15. Everyone who drinks of this water will never be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I give them... Uh, or will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks from the water I provide will never be thirsty again because I will give them a water and there will be a wellspring of eternal life inside them. She still doesn't get it, does she? There's still some confusion and she thinks Jesus is talking about real water and then Jesus drops a bomb right here if you were listening and you're thinking like, where's the tact, (laughs) Jesus? Look at verses 16 through 18. Go call your husband. Yeah, that's right. You don't have a husband. You've actually had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. Whoa. 
what just happened? I mean, Jesus goes, we're talking about water here. And you start talking about her love life. And how she's relating to men. And it doesn't make sense. And it seems like, doesn't it? An abrupt change of subject, but it's really not. Jesus is actually going deeper into the topic at hand. And he says this, essentially. Let's stop talking about Jacob's well. And let's start talking about the well of your heart. Let's stop talking about your physical thirst, because that's not what I'm talking about. Let's talk about the thirst of your soul. That's what Jesus is saying. And so he's exposing the emptiness of the wells that she has been running to in order to quench her thirst. And he's saying, if you continue to go to that well, it will never be enough. Because I am the only well that you can go to and never thirst again. Because I am the only well that will never run dry. And so, again, the question that it forces us to ask this morning is, what are the wells in our lives that we are trying to draw water from? And we all have them. All of us have had the experience, me included, of going to something. And think about whatever it is, we have that experience of looking at something or someone and saying, if I can just have that, if I can just get that achievement, or that job, or meet that educational milestone, or have success in my work, or get that promotion, or if you're a student, if I could just get into that club at school, or if I can just get on that sports team with those people that are at that level, or have the approval of a certain person, or if you're single, if I can just get married, or just be in a relationship, and you get that, thing that you've always wanted and what happens it doesn't do it it doesn't quench your thirst or if it does it's only for a short time and then you find yourself more thirsty than ever before I love this quote that's attributed to John Rockefeller and I I don't know if it's from him or not I've seen it attributed to a few different people but you'll get the gist he was asked when he was younger What do you wish someone would have told you when you were young? And his reply was, I wish someone would have told me that when I got to the top, there was nothing there. I love verse 10. If you only knew the gift of God for you, if you only knew the gift of God for you, Jesus is saying to us and to this woman this morning, You're trying to find life everywhere else in this world. If you only knew, I am so much better. I am so much better. How is Jesus better? Well, think about it. All of the wells that you and I go and try to draw from, all they do is take. They're takers. They're not givers. Think about that for a second. And even, you know, not all wells are necessarily 
bad things, they're oftentimes good things. For example, think about me, think with me about work. Is work a good thing? Yes, it's something given by God. And the workaholic dad doesn't start out his career of, I'm going to be a workaholic. I'm going to sacrifice my life and my family on the altar of my work, on the well of my work. No. So what happens? Well, he wants to be successful. And he wants to do a good job for the company and be a good employee. And he wants to make enough money to be able to provide for his children so that they can go to college. Those are good things, right? But slowly but surely over time, he starts to find his meaning and his worth and his significance and power in his work. And then all of a sudden, he starts to think, this company will not survive without me. They need me. And so I've got to be there. And then he starts missing the soccer game and the recital and then stops showing up to the family dinners. And he begins slowly but surely to sacrifice his family at the altar of his well. You see, friends, if you drink from any other well beside the Lord Jesus Christ, it will crush you. It will take your life. It will always demand more and it will never give you one thing in, the, in return. It will grind you into the ground. And Jesus says this morning in this passage, come to me. And I won't take. I will give. And I will give. I will give you everything that I have because I am so much better. I will even give you my very life. Come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give rest to your deepest longings because I am that much better. Thirdly, how does she respond? Look at verses 28 through 30. I love this detail that's easy to overlook in verse 28. Did you notice that? She came to give, get water to drink And John says she leaves her water jar at the well. Isn't that beautiful? Why did she leave it at the well? Well, because she didn't need it anymore. Because she had found the person, the man, who fulfilled her deepest longings. She had found the person who was so much better in Jesus that she had was drinking from the well in which it would never run dry, she would never be thirsty again. She didn't need it. But there's also another reason. Look at verse 29. Remember our talk talk on evangelism a few weeks ago. She had met the real Jesus. And she couldn't help but talk about him. And so the sense of the passage is that she's so excited that she is so preoccupied that she has to go and tell someone about Jesus. This man that she has met. And so she marches right into the middle of the village. Think about this. The village that was scorning her. Which filled her with more shame. And she says, come see a man 
who towed me everything I ever did and didn't leave. Come, see a man who towed me all this embarrassing stuff. How in the world does that happen? How does she go from being the talk of the town in a very negative way to going with confidence into the middle of the village and saying, come, let me tell you about Jesus. There's only one explanation. It's for the first time in her life, she had the smile of the only person in the world, God himself. The only smile of the only person in the world that really mattered. She had that smile. Reminds me of Nathan Turquie. He's a good friend of mine. He was a campus minister. He's also a pastor now outside of Memphis. But he tells this story about when he went to Liberty Land. I don't know if any people remember Liberty Land in Memphis. Uh, And it closed in 2005, but it was an amusement park. And it was one of these incredibly hot days in this amusement park. And he was looking for the mist machine, you know, that spits out the mist so that you can cool down. He finally locates it. He said, but it's surrounded by all these teenagers and they're laughing and they're pointing and he can't get a sense of what's going on. And so he walks up and he sees a young girl on the shoulders of her father and she's playing in this small pool of water and all of these teenagers are looking and pointing and laughing at her. He still doesn't quite understand until he gets a good look at the girl's face, the young girl's face, and she has a severe facial deformity. Then he understood why they were laughing. And he said he became indignant and didn't know like, how he should confront these teenagers about what was going on. But then he looked and looked at the girl's face again, and she said, he said she was smiling from ear to ear. Didn't have a care in the world. Didn't have any idea of what was going on around her. Why? Because she was in a place on her daddy's shoulders where she knew she was loved, knew she was safe and secure, and she had the smile and the delight of the only person in the world that really mattered, her father. That's the woman at the well. That's how she could go from being previously shamed now to moving right into the heart of the city because she had met the man who gave her the smile, the only smile that really mattered. She had met Jesus. And she says, come see a man who's told me everything that I ever did and he didn't leave me. But he stayed. He saw me all the way to the bottom and he didn't try to hurt me or he didn't try to run the other way. And we saw that same theme with Nathaniel. And we're going to see these same things coming up over and over in the Gospel of John. Why? Because we need to hear them. And because God knows we need to hear them. Because we forget. Because more than anything, we want to be seen to the bottom and still loved. And that's what God offers you this morning. How does he offer it? Well, again, a very interesting detail is if you were to go to John chapter 19, you would see this very small detail, and it's only mentioned in the Gospel of John. Isn't that amazing? John is talking about the crucifixion of Jesus as Jesus is being crucified and tortured. And when John sets the scene, you know what he says? It was the sixth hour. 
high noon. The exact same time that this conversation was taking place had taken place in John chapter 4. And as the sun is scorching and beating down as Jesus is hanging on the cross, he is hanging there and out of the silence we hear this cry. You know what Jesus says? I thirst. I thirst. And he's not just talking about physical thirst. He's talking about spiritual thirst because as he's hanging there, And the wrath of his father is being poured out on him. He is being separated from his father and taking the punishment that you and I deserve for our sins. Friends, on the cross, Jesus took our jar of poison. Of the poisonous wells and idols that you and I seek to find life in. And he drank it all the way to the bottom. So that we could drink his jar of living water, and never thirst again. Jesus experienced ultimate thirst so that you and I could completely be satisfied and never thirst again. And so my question this morning is, what are the water jars you need to leave behind this morning? Friends, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the verdict is in on you. You no longer need to seek to find a water jar uh, in relationships, in body image, in job competency, in parenting, in success, in achievement, because in the eyes of the only person that really matters, you are loved and you are beautiful and you are accepted. That is the gospel. And it's for insiders and outsiders and skeptics and for everyone in between. You think about that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us living water. Would you forgive us for trying to find life in other places? Holy Spirit, come and convince us that those wells will never satisfy and that true and lasting life can only be found in you. Thank you that you smile upon us and that you love us and we do not have to search for those things for compliments and for life and for status and all those things in other places, but that you actually provide everything that we need. Make that truth real to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.